Good morning. See if we can get that working. Is that working? Good. Wow. It's so lovely to be here. Um, It's been a little while, actually, since I was able to do this, so always a huge privilege um, to be able to do this. I'm Amy, in case I haven't met you. Nice to meet you. Um, I'm uh, I'm married to Adam, um, who's out with our kids at the moment. So it's always quite funny, I think, when I speak on early Genesis and talk about the wife of Adam. Hi. Um, (laughs) um, uh, so yeah, and we've actually been married, at, next year is our 20th wedding anniversary, so, um, and um, we worshipped at All Saints back here 20 years ago when we got married, and we had a little bit of time away, and we've been back with you guys now for about three, just over three years, so it's a joy and wonderful to be here. <clears throat> so we're currently working through a series, um, grappling with some big questions, Um, as we explore these ideas of current culture, worldly culture versus kingdom culture. And we're looking at some really, really important questions over these next few months. Some of these questions are big, abstract, conceptual ideas, and some of them are very, very personal. And today is one of those, I believe. Today's topic is actually very deeply personal. It's really real, and and I know that for some it could be quite painful. Um, And I hope that as I share this morning that I honour you and I honour your story and I'm sensitive to what you've experienced and where you're at. But more than that, my hope and my prayer today is that our, our great and good God would come alongside you and you would know his presence in your circumstance, that you would know he is with you, that he would meet us right there in those personal bits, in those painful bits and minister to us. So the big question of today is, is married with children God's ideal? Is married with children God's ideal? (laughs) Is this what we're all aiming for? Is this what life's about? Everything else is second best. There is so much I want to say this morning, um, and I will do my best to cover as much as I can. And hopefully, ultimately, we'll, we'll hopefully answer that question together. But I want to start in Genesis. We've heard a little bit of Genesis 2, um, but I want to broaden that out. I want to look at the first three chapters of Genesis and um, start right at the very, very beginning um, with Genesis 1. <coughs> um, so Genesis 1 is the big picture of creation, the sweeping narrative of God at work, creating everything, speaking life and life and light into the universe, and all that he makes is good. All through Genesis 1, God makes this, it's good. God makes this, it's good. God makes this, it's good. All the way through. And then at the very, very end of Genesis chapter 1, he makes us. He makes humanity. He makes humankind. And, And at this point, the final verse It says God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. After the creation of humanity, it's not just good anymore, it is very good. We are the pinnacle of God's creation, his humanity. And then we have chapter 2, and chapter 2 is is an echo of chapter 1, kind of zoning in, zooming in on the, the creation of humanity in more detail. And the first 17 verses outline how Adam is made, how the first human is made, um, and the animals, and where he's placed in a garden. And then we reach the point of our reading today, starting at verse 18. And so all we know from chapter 1, creation is good. The creation of humanity is very good. And then we get this verse, Genesis 2.18, that begins, it is not good. It is not good. The first time, the first mention in the Bible that something's not right, and it says it is not 
good for human beings to be alone. It is not good for human beings to be alone. You're not made to be alone. We are made, as human beings, we're made for relationship. We're made for community. Ultimately, we're made in the image of God, who is perfect relationship. He in himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is the perfect example of relationship. And us being made in his image means we too are made for relationship, made for connection. So God makes another human. Um, (laughs) And the the verse carries on, and it says, I'm going to explain this a little, it says that I will make a suitable helper for him. Um, uh, just to make that really clear, that word helper um, is uh, the Hebrew is Ezer. Um, it's used 18 other times in the Old Testament, and every other point it's used, it's used to describe God. Um, it's talked about God. And so we can't say this is in any way inferior. Women are in no way inferior to men, and women do not exist to serve men. The two together are a partnership, a companionship, a connection. And these two first human beings come together in partnership. And then we get to the end of chapter 2. There's a really key verse, the end of chapter 2, which we heard read. And it finishes, both were naked and they felt no shame. They felt no shame. And if we just pop back to the end of chapter 1, which is um, kind of after that creation of humanity, at the end of chapter 1, we get God's first command to his people, God's first command to these first two humans that he's made. And he says this, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. The first recorded words to humanity, be fruitful and increase in number. It's incredible how God gives us as humans the the role in creating life. He gives us this privilege of of coming alongside. God, God creates and now we as human beings can continue his creative work. We're called to go on to fill the earth, to build community, to build family. And part of our being made in his image is that he shares this power, this authority with us to also be part of creation. So we're called to be fruitful. One of the commentaries I read said this. So it is that fruitfulness begins with God himself who creates and who calls on human beings created in his image to be fruitful and increase in number. That original mandate has to do with building families, growing crops and breeding animals. But such cultivation provides the basis for the organisation of society and includes by extension the development of all culture and civilization as we represent God's rule over every activity in relationship with others, reflecting God's own creative hand. God's plan is that humanity would be fruitful, that we would be part of him in creating and filling the world, that that through that fruitfulness, God's love, God's blessing would extend throughout the earth. And at this point, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, at this point, everything is perfect. Everything is right. We're in perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with each other. We have the potential to grow, to multiply, to share this love, to build community, to build family. Everything is as it should be. And then we have Genesis chapter 3. And I don't have time to unpack it all in detail. But we know how chapter 3 goes. We know how it goes. Adam and Eve are tempted. They eat fruit. And sin enters the world. And this force of sin is so powerful, so destructive, that within one generation you have brothers murdering each other. So destructive. And immediately everything shifts. Immediately there are consequences to this sin. 
Um, And verse 7 of chapter 3, which is literally eight verses after the end of chapter 2, it says, Their eyes were opened, they realised they were naked, they sewed fig leaves together to make coverings for themselves. So the first thing humanity does when sin enters the world is to feel shame and to add on stuff, to put stuff on to God's perfect creation. They feel shame at who they are, shame at who they're made to be, and they put on extra stuff, stuff that doesn't need to be there. And over the next few verses, we start to see it sort of snowball. So there's shame, then there's fear, and then there's blame, and then there's guilt, and then there's disconnection, and then there's brokenness. And none of this is God's intention. None of this is his intention. This is the result of sin, the consequences of sin. And so we know things are no longer how they're meant to be. Things are no longer how they're meant to be. God has created us, created humanity in his image for relationship, for community, for fruitfulness. He gave them the gift of being able to grow family. And instead they've sinned and they must be separated from him. Later in chapter 3, God outlines the consequences of sin and they're they're severe. Um, And again, I haven't got time to go into them, but one of them, God says to the woman, your pains in childbearing will be severe. And that, um, the, the Hebrew for childbearing, it's not just about labor. It's, it's the whole of it. It's from conception through to birth. The whole of it will be in pain. <clears throat> Three chapters in, and things are no longer how they're meant to be. And so Genesis continues, Genesis continues, and, and the, the, the command of fruitfulness is reiterated. It's, it's said to Noah after the flood, it's said to Abraham, it's said to Jacob and his family, and then it's said to the nation of Israel. All are commanded to be fruitful, all are commanded to be fruitful, but we know what happens. Sin continues to get in the way. We all fall short, but... In the midst of all this history, in the midst of this, there's, there's a promise. There's lots of wonderful promises, actually. This is one of them. One of them in Isaiah 11, verse 1. This is a slightly different version to the image I found. But it says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his root a branch will bear fruit. A branch will bear fruit. And we know who this is about. We know this is about the one who is going to step into all this mess and make a way So that through him, once again, we can truly be fruitful. We can truly do the things that we were called to do in the beginning, to extend God's love into the world through Jesus. And in Jesus' teaching, he echoes the call to be fruitful. We have that glorious passage of John 15, where Jesus talks about, you know, remain in me, remain in my love, and you will bear fruit, fruit that will last and Jesus echoes the call to multiply, to build community, to build family. But, but it's not really about making babies anymore. It's about making disciples. It's about making people. And, and it's not really about subduing the earth, but it's about creating community, cultivating family and community and bringing in the kingdom and the kingdom's values. And our priority, in Jesus' words, our priority in this fallen and broken world is to bear fruit, to be fruitful and fruit that will last into eternity. And let's just note, Jesus lived a fully human life, the perfect example, and he wasn't married and he didn't have children. Let's just note that one. And we see Jesus' call start to happen. The disciples make disciples. The family is growing. The kingdom is coming. And then we get um, Paul. He writes this in Colossians. He says, in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. 
Paul, who also didn't marry or have children, just to note. And Paul writes about fruitfulness a lot. In Ephesians 5, he says, Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Galatians 5, which maybe we potentially might know this one, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I genuinely don't believe, and I don't believe the scriptures say that the ideal is to marry and have children. I believe God's ideal is for us to be fruitful. God's ideal is for us to be fruitful and to play our part in building his kingdom and in growing his family and extending his love and grace into the world. Now, this is not to say that marriage is not a good thing, because of course it is. It's a gift. It's a gift from God. And and when marriage is imbued with with God's spirit, then that that fruitfulness, you know, it has the chance to be extended through that marriage as well. And so if you do marry, if you are married, we we have a huge responsibility in that to be fruitful in our marriage and to honour that relationship, to honour that relationship above all other earthly relationships and to honour that commitment that we've made. In Song of Songs, we have this gorgeous description of, of, a, of a relationship from courtship through to marriage. And this is how it begins in the kind of courtship stage in Song of Songs 2. And um, the, the male says, like a lily among thistles is my darling among young women. And then the, the man says, um, sorry, the woman says, like the finest apple tree in the orchard is my lover among young men. That's, you know, that's it, the lily among the thistles, the finest apple tree in the orchard. And that's how we should be able to look at our spouse and say that, you are the finest apple tree in the orchard. <laughs> He's not here, so. <laughs> um, and then uh, Song of Songs continues um, through their courtship and their marriage. And then we get to chapter six, which, which most commentaries say, you know, this is their, their, they've been married a while by this point. They've been married a while by this point. And I love this verse. And he says, even among countless young women, I would still choose my dove, my perfect one. And ultimately, this is the reality of marriage. Even among countless others, I would still choose you. I still choose you. Marriage is a daily choice to say, I choose you. You remain the finest apple tree in the orchard. (laughs) I choose you. And we have a responsibility if we are married, if we marry, that is our responsibility to continue to choose that person. And as the, the marriage service says, this is not something to be taken lightly. Yet, marriage can't be everything. And our second reading is a fascinating one, <laughs> a really interesting one, um, where the Sadducees come to Jesus with a question. And the Sadducees were very um, kind of aristocratic people, um, wealthy, kind of educated, sort of come. And they, they, they propose this ridiculous question. This woman who is seven times widowed and each time marries a brother, whose wife will she be at the resurrection? And I love Jesus. So often when he's asked a question, he, he just he doesn't really answer the question and he just says the brilliant, most brilliant things. And in this case, he says to them, you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. <laughs> I just think, oh yeah, okay, that's true. Isn't that true of all of us? You know, every time we open the Bible, there's something new there. Every time there's something new, we're learning always. And, and surely we'll never truly know the extent of the power of God. And and I don't know what eternity will look like. I, you know, even the greatest scholars, you know, we're just kind of trusting and believing. The thing we do know is we will be with God forever. We will be with God forever. And therefore, we know for sure that our primary relationship, 
must, our relationship with God must be paramount in our lives. That must be the one above all other earthly relationships, even marriage. In God, that's where we find our true self. That's where we find our worth and our meaning. Not in our marriage, not in being a wife or a husband, but in God. And that's our priority relationship. <clears throat> I was reminded of Anna as I was preparing from Luke chapter 2. Um, what, an, what a story. It says, Anna had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. And some translations actually said she was then a widow for 84 years. So it was even longer. Crazy. Um, she never left the temple but worship day and night, fasting and praying. And she comes up to them. This is the Holy Family, Joseph, Mary, and the baby Jesus. She comes up to them. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This incredible woman, this incredible woman, nobody could say her life is not fruitful. You could never claim that her life isn't fruitful. And yet, surely, it's a long way from what she hoped it would be. Surely, you know, she has experienced a depth of pain, a depth of loss, and yet she is fruitful. And if we jump back a chapter, we have two others, a married couple, Elizabeth and Zechariah. Um, and this is um, what, what it says at the beginning of chapter one. It says, both of them, Elizabeth and Zechariah, were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless. Now the story goes on. They become the parents of John the Baptist. But we have to pause here at this point. When they are childless, they are righteous in the sight of God. They are still fruitful. They are still part of God's kingdom. They are still doing what God has called them to do. And sadly, the consequence of sin is still at work in the world. And I know that bearing children is rarely straightforward. And I, I don't know many of my friends who have had a sort of easy journey. You know, so many, there is, there is an experience of pain or loss or waiting in their journey towards children. However children join your family, however children come in, or, or if they don't. But still, we can be fruitful, just as Elizabeth and Zechariah show us. And I recognise that for some of us, for some of you, perhaps childless is, childlessness is not a choice. It's, it's, it's the circumstance you find yourself in. Similarly, singleness, it's not the choice. It's not what you wanted. And I don't know your story. I don't know your circumstance. And I just, I pray if you've known pain or you know pain in either or both of these ways, then, you know, we stand with you. We stand with you. But more so, God is with you. God is with you and present in that place of pain. And I hope you know his presence. But more than that, I hope you know you can still fulfill God's ideal of fruitfulness. You can still fulfill his ideal. You know, the consequence of sin reminds us that actually having children, caring for children, is not a right. It's not a right. It's a privilege. And it's a huge responsibility. Um, I'm, I'm a mum through adoption. And, I, I, you know, I feel this sense of responsibility acutely and I know you if you're parents by birth too you know that sense of responsibility that this this amazing gift is looking at me for their security and stability and and wanting to kind of find that in me that's heavy that's a responsibility and I think that's why, for, you know, wherever possible, ideally, children are raised in the context of, you know, a stable relationship, you know, where you, you are together. Ideally, that's, that's it. But, but if not, then, then finding places and spaces and ways to bring that stability into children's lives is so important. 
But also, in parenting, we have a huge, huge opportunity to be fruitful. Because ultimately, we can teach our children and we can guide them and lead them towards finding their security in God. You know, whereas a tiny baby looks to their carer for their kind of security and stability and consistency, ultimately, we need our children to be looking to God for that. And that's part of our responsibility is moving them and witnessing to them, building them up. Also, I think it's one of the hardest things we'll ever do. Um, but it's you know, a great opportunity for the fruit of the Spirit to grow in us, especially patience, I find. Um, but you know, what an opportunity, what a privilege, but what a responsibility. But also, let's be honest, the primary goal of raising children is to enable them not to need you anymore, is to get them to a point where actually they don't need you anymore. And so we're reminded once again, this cannot be where we find our identity. This cannot be the primary goal or purpose of our life or our primary relationship. Because if it is, ultimately, it's going to shift and it's going to change and it's going to ebb and flow. And ultimately, you'll do yourself out of a job, hopefully. Um, So again, you know, we need to be looking to God for our identity and knowing who we are and looking to him for our purpose. And I just, you know, having children uh, is a choice, it's a calling, um, and I know perhaps if you want it and it doesn't happen, I, I, you know, that, the pain of that. But actually, you know, my, my story as well was that we chose not to have birth children. It was, a, it was a, a genuine choice we made. And I want to recognize that that's okay too. That's absolutely okay too. Your fruitfulness, worth, identity stems from God. Nothing else defines you. And what he, calling he places on your, your unique life is absolutely right and right and good. I really hope that you hear my heart. Whatever your circumstance, whatever your situation, and whether you're in it by choice or by circumstance, God's ideal for your life is that you are fruitful. God's ideal for your life is that you're part of advancing his kingdom and making disciples and extending his love into the world and growing his family Because, you know, God's family looks so different to the cultural, sorry, the cultural family of kind of this closed little group, which is like, you know, you hear the language of, oh, yes, they completed our family, you know, we're done. And kind of that sort of like, it's it's this kind of finite thing. And actually, the language of God is, is, is an open family, a welcome family. And we kind of need to smash up these limited narratives because God's family is never closed. God's family is never finished. God's family is never complete. It's always open. There's space for more. And all are welcome in this family. All have a place in this family, a place that can't be earned. You don't have to do anything, but all are welcome. This kind of experience example of beautiful and real hospitality and welcome and I really believe God is calling us to echo that to echo that and this way of building family in our lives because it goes so far beyond whether we marry and have babies it's so much bigger than that this is about reimagining our whole understanding of family and community and I was at a conference last week um, with the charity I work for we had Shane Claiborne was one of the speakers, <clears throat> and um, he's a brilliant, amazing guy. And he said this, this amazing thing that stuck with me all week. He says, we need to draw a bigger circle. We need to draw a bigger circle around what it is to be family. Draw a bigger circle. Because God's view of family is so much bigger, and he wants everyone to feel a part of it. And Psalm 68 Um, It's a beautiful, beautiful verse. I love this one. God sets the lonely in families. 
God sets the lonely in families. That's God's heart, is that all would be part of family, all would be welcomed in. And even Jesus on the cross is doing this. You see this in him. He's, he's building family, even while on the cross. He sees his mum, he sees Mary, who's devastated at the loss of her eldest child. Um, and we see his best friend, John. Um, and and he, he draws them together. He connects them together. And he says, he says, mother, here is your son. And John, here is your mother. And it says, from that time on, John took Mary into his home. You know, even on the cross, the heart of Jesus is that everyone is welcomed. Nobody is overlooked. Nobody is lonely. Everybody is connected and belonging. And I think it's beautiful. We see this in our church. We see this in how you welcome in and how we welcome in. I love how committed you know, we are to, to, to reaching people, to drawing them into community. Um, you know, and I see that in how people um, work with like, the brilliant charity Safe Families, coming alongside family, making sure they have that, that place of belonging. And, and all of this, all of this is part of living a fruitful life part of living a fruitful life, extending God's love into the world and growing his family. But I really want to ask and challenge you this morning, you know, what could you do to draw a bigger circle in your life? How can you, how is God calling you to draw a bigger circle? How is there room for more? Who is it that you could extend welcome to? Who is it that you could invite in, not, not necessarily to like live in your home, but maybe, but actually what does it mean to ensure everyone is connected that no one has to feel alone. Because we know humans are made for relationship. Humans are made for connection. And I hope that as a church, we can be a place of welcome where no one experiences that loneliness and that we extend that into the community. I'm going to come to a close by sharing my favourite definition of family that's not from the Bible, (laughs) a non-biblical definition of family. Um, And it's the word ohana, which is a Hawaiian word, which I love. You may have known it from the Disney film, Lilo and Stitch, um, because I'm going to finish with Disney, why not? Um, And it says this, it says ohana means family. And in the movie, in the film, it says, and that means nobody gets left behind or forgotten. Nobody gets left behind or forgotten. But when you look at that word ohana in the Hawaiian language, there's four ways you can, you can join that family, that ohana family. There's four ways. One is by blood, one is by marriage, one is by adoption. And the fourth, I love the fourth, is by choice. You just choose to join it and you're in it. <laughs> and that's it. That's the fullness of family. You join it and you're welcomed in. And I really want to encourage you as I come to a close. You can choose to live a fruitful, fruitful life regardless of your circumstance. You can be part of growing God's family in how you live, how you love, how you welcome others, how you build your kingdom. And that's true fruitfulness. I want to pray for us. I know that all that I've shared, you know, different bits, perhaps connecting with different people. And as I say... (coughs) I know this is really, really personal. And perhaps for some of you, actually, your journey is such that actually right now in this moment, the only bit you need to think about is that he is with you. He is with you. And he's, he's, he's walking with you in whatever it is that you're experiencing. And perhaps for some of us, it's that challenge of what can I do to draw a bigger circle? What can I do to draw a bigger circle, to draw more in? Perhaps for others, it's just a reminder of how, if we are married with kids, and actually how do we do that well? How do we honour God? How are we fruitful in our marriage, raising our kids? Perhaps for some, it's just that 
need to put our identity in God first and foremost, to lean into him and look to him. Whatever it is, I'm going to pray and we'll just let the Lord lead us and Sarah and I will lead. But yeah, Lord Jesus, we want to be open to all that you have for us this morning. Would you come by the power of your spirit, would you guide us as we pray? Lord, I pray that if our circumstances are such that this is hard and this hurts, Lord, pour out your spirit, Lord. Increase our awareness of your presence. And Lord, just as we know that humans are made for connection, Lord, would we as a church come alongside those for whom this is painful. And and perhaps it is something that is really, you know, you haven't even told anyone this is something you're struggling with. Maybe today is the time to tell someone and let someone in and let them journey with you and stand with you and pray with you and love you. And perhaps for some of us, that prompt, that idea, what could you do to draw a bigger circle Lord, would you lay on our heart if there are people or um, people groups, Lord, you know that we need to open ourselves up to, to extend your love, to build your family. Jesus. Lord, I pray, ultimately, wherever we are, whatever our circumstance, that we would recognize your ideal for us is that we are fruitful and this is possible whatever our circumstance thank you jesus